Welcome back, listeners, to this next episode of Jesus Said What on Pick Up Your Bible. I'm so glad you decided to join us for this episode. We are talking about Jesus's words in the New Testament in this series, and we are trying to dig deep into the inner meaning. The reason I decided to do this series is because I I know I have done this myself, and I know other believers who read the Word of God and just skip through things thinking that, man, that's too deep for me to understand, or I don't get what he's speaking. He's, say, he's speaking in parables and riddles and it's okay if I miss this part. And I just want to encourage you through this series that every word that's written in the Bible is for us to know God more. But the word says, seek and you will find. And I believe that the first place we should seek God in is in his word. That was the reason it was given to us to reveal God's heart to us. And so I'm hoping that the series will challenge you a bit into picking up your Bible and reading these words yourself. Because as I share my understanding of Jesus' words, I know there are going to be things that you agree with and a lot of things you disagree with. And that's okay because I'm not here doing a Bible study. I'm just here sharing my understanding. And I'm hoping to pique your curiosity so that you would pick up the word yourself and dig deep and seek yourself and find God there. So this is my purpose, and I hope you're encouraged by it. Last week, we spoke a little bit of the Old Testament law and Jesus' relationship to it. And as we continue on in the series of the Sermon on the Mount that we're in, the next section of it will notice this kind of repetitive literary pattern that Jesus uses. He says multiple times through the next few sections that you have heard it said to those of old, but I say to you, and he goes through many of the Old Testament laws, six of them to be exact, and we see him reinterpreting the law for us in these verses we briefly spoke of how Jesus came to correctly interpret the law for us. And in these verses, he begins doing so. So let's uh, let's read the passage for today. We are in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21 through verse 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to, with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus begins with stating an Old Testament law that his Jewish listeners were all too familiar with. We can find these in Exodus 20, verse 13, and later again in Deuteronomy 5, verse 17. To remind you, these 
the Old Testament law was dictated by God to Moses for the Israelites who had just been rescued out of Egypt. And we see it in Exodus as God is dictating to Moses and he brings it to the Israelites. Later in Deuteronomy, he restates these laws and in a kind of goodbye message to the Israelites when he discovers that he won't be going to the promised land. So there are a couple of places in the Old Testament that you can read this law. And I believe it's important to remember that this law was delivered to a people who were without the Holy Spirit. And I believe for this reason, this law stopped being about the covenant relationship with God and it turned into a legal system by which people were being judged and punished and accused and even killed. It was simply a legal system used for behavior management and to control the population and not about God and the people anymore. And the religious leaders in those days, and even right up until the day Jesus is speaking these words, they had tightened these laws and added to them to control the people. But with Jesus' arrival, this is about to change. He untangles this mess that the law had become so as to help the people see the spirit of the law and not simply the word of it. We see this happen throughout Jesus' ministry, and this is why we hear him say things like, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Yes, one of the Ten Commandments is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We, ne- we can actually read this in the uh, Ten Commandments that uh, God gave to the Israelites here in Exodus chapter 20. I'm reading from verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So yes, the people were commanded not to work on the Sabbath day. But when Jesus' disciples eat of the wheat of the field on Sabbath, and then the Pharisees come and object to it, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Jesus realigns our understanding that laws were given for us to be in covenant relationship with our God and not just simply a list of do's and don'ts for behavior control. He tells the Pharisees that the Sabbath was made for man. The focus of that law was not that the Sabbath was holy, but that man should rest as the Lord, their God, their creator, had rested. So the focus for God is man, his creation. But the religious leaders had made it about the Sabbath day being holy. So we see this throughout Jesus' ministry. He is here to reinterpret the law for us correctly. And now turning our attention back to our Bible portion for today, Jesus is addressing this issue of anger. 
And this Old Testament law that the people were all too familiar with about if you commit murder, you will face judgment. And he goes on to say, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Jesus intends to expose the fact that the religious leaders had taken this commandment and reduced it to an action-based law. If you commit the action of murder, you will be judged. You will face judgment. But I say to you, says Jesus, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. In exposing this correct interpretation of the law, Jesus says that this is not simply about how you act. This is about the attitude of your heart that is in covenant relationship with God. In such a heart, anger toward a brother is murder. At first, this may seem like Jesus is taking an already burdensome law and making it even more impossible to keep. At least until now, so long as you didn't kill anyone, you were fine with God. At least that's what people thought. But Jesus says, it wasn't ever about the action. It was always about the heart. This is not about, well, now even anger is punishable by law. The specific purpose for Jesus coming to correctly interpret the law for us is that we can truly understand our need for a savior and our inability to live such a life without utter dependence and total surrender to the Holy Spirit. Jesus exposes this quick progression of anger. He says, anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And then he goes a step further. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And then the quick jump to almost this act of aggression. You call someone else, you fool. And that Jesus says you will be liable to the hell of fire. So in Jesus is exposing to us this quick progression of anger and how it gets out of control and the seriousness of that in the kingdom of God. Jesus then specifies that the only intervention to prevent the sequence of progressive events is to nip it in the bud. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, he's not even, you'd think Jesus would suggest that the minute you have feelings of anger or hurt, uh, then go address it. But he proceeds even that. He says, even before you are angry or caused to get angry, and your brother is the one who has beef with you, like you find out, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and go deal with it. Deal with it with such urgency that even your acts of worship to God must wait. Jesus doesn't mean that so long as you don't solve your issues with your brother, don't come and worship me. In a sense, that's true, but that's that's not his advice. Is uh, This is so important to me that if you're not able to do it, don't even bother coming to me. He's talking to a people group who went to synagogue often. That was like their purpose for living almost. They were so serious about uh, being faithful in their attendance at synagogue. And to those people, he's saying, if you want to come and do that, you have to do this first. And so the urgency is on forgiving your brother, dealing with those issues. Come to terms quickly, Jesus says, 
Because as Warren Wearsby says, the longer we wait, the worse this bondage becomes. Like this, the last verse in this section, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. He's talking about this internal bondage, this jail we can live in if we let anger and hurt fester in our hearts. We won't be free of it until we've paid with it, with everything, our family, our jobs, our relationships, everything will pay a price if we do not deal with anger. And so this is a stern warning, but also such an encouragement because now with us, we have the Holy Spirit who gives us things like gentleness. In the Holy Spirit, we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit gentleness, kindness, patience, self-control, all of these tools, if you will, to handle our anger, not as medication for, oh, my, my sin of anger needs a dose of Holy Spirit, but we can choose to act in the Spirit as opposed to what we feel in the flesh. And this is our encouragement. Um, I have anger issues personally, and so these verses are so important to me because not only does it express how much importance Jesus places on this as we are in covenant relationship with him, but also the way in which it must be dealt, the quickness, the urgency, the warning that it comes with, but we have the Holy Spirit, and that is such great news. I have the Holy Spirit to help me, and so do you. I've often wondered, and especially as I was reading uh, this for the purpose of this podcast, why did Jesus pick this particular law to address first? He's going to, like I mentioned, he's going to address six Old Testament laws um, in the next section of the sermon but he chooses anger first. And of course, he doesn't give a reason why, so we can only speculate. But one thing we can be sure of is that it is indeed important enough that he chose to include it in these six laws and to include it first. So it matters to Jesus, and so it should matter to us. I am so glad I got to share this with you today because I am preaching to myself in this. As I studied this for the purpose of sharing it with you, it encouraged me so much to deal with the anger in my life and to deal with those underlying emotions that cause anger. I've heard it said that anger is a secondary emotion, usually a manifestation of underlying deeper feelings of hurt or rejection or anxiety or worry or stress. Usually anger is the manifestation of all those underlying emotions. And so when Jesus speaks here of anger, we should understand it as addressing all those emotions and that it all needs to be dealt with. If you are in a place where you have relationships in your life where people are holding things against you or you have wronged someone, I hope today you will take those proactive steps to go and address that, to go and make it right, to, to go and confess and apologize if there is something that you have done on your part. But even if none of this is the case and someone just holds a grudge against you for no reason uh, or no fault of yours, to make an effort to go and 
continue a relationship and fix whatever happened. And that doesn't always work out. You can make an attempt that another person doesn't respond to. And that's okay because God expects you to do your part and he's working on other people to respond to that and that will happen in his timing. Um, There is a verse in Romans chapter 12. Let me just turn there. Just reminding us of this uh, of this nature that we should have of trying to make peace with others and not always getting a response for it. I'm in Romans chapter 12, verse uh, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Thank you so much for joining me today, listeners. I'm so excited every time I get to share anything about the Word of God with you. I'm not an expert by any means, but I love sharing what I've learned, and I love that you listen. And so I pray for you often. I pray that God forgives me if I am uh, sharing something that's not of Him. It never happens intentionally, trust me. And so I have prayed protection over you that God would bring you a right understanding of the Word of God as you pick up your Bible and read it. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on any podcasting service you use. I think we're on all of them. Follow us on Instagram. My handle is pick up your Bible and email me with questions, discussion matters, disagreements, suggestions, whatever it is, Cynthia at pickupyourbible.com. God bless you listeners and I will catch you next time.